Um, if you want to run one over here, I'll be glad to drink it. Um, we, um, take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. And um, <clears throat> before the, um, the schedule kind of changed, I had a little different direction that I thought it would go this morning um, as we're leading up to the weeks of Easter. But I decided that we would kind of pivot a little bit today. And I want to take us to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 4. And if you have your Bibles there with you, I'd like for you to read along with us as we do this. And um, we're going to begin in verse number 7 of chapter 4, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter, which is verse 18. Um, and so uh, if you're here this morning, you can. Let's stand together. And if you're at home, if you'd like to stand with us, feel free to do so, all right? Uh, we're going to read this text of Scripture together, beginning in verse number 7 today. But we have this treasure, this treasure referring back to the previous chapter of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's referring to here, this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not in despair. I'm sorry, cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on things which are seen, but on things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the word this morning. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us a liberty to proclaim the word of God here for those that are in the room this morning, that, Lord, uh, they would be edified from the word of God, and those that are at home uh, on live stream this morning, that, Father, they would be ministered to as well. Uh, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would uh, limit our distractions this morning and help us to focus in on the text of Scripture. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would guide our steps this morning. And, Lord, as our text said, we have the hope this morning, and we faint not. We rest in that. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You can be seated if you're here with us. So Corinthians is writing to a... Um, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and this is his second letter to them. The first letter uh, was very much a rebuke. And so he had come to the church at Corinth with just a heavy-handed rebuking and just chapter after chapter of letting them know what they were doing wrong and how they needed to fix it. And, uh, and Paul was, he would say things along the lines of, hey, you're doing this well, but that's not going well. You're doing this well, but you need to fix this. And he was constantly coming in and correcting them with a very heavy hand, even so much so that when he opens 2 Corinthians, he's saying, hey, I, I hate that I had to make you sorry for what was going on. And he said, but it's a good thing that you've repented and you've come to the right place. And so now he's coming in and for the first several chapters of Corinthians, he's laying out what gospel ministry looks like. 
This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture when we think of gospel ministry. And, and let me remind you again that gospel ministry is not just what the pastor's doing on Sunday morning or what the musicians do when they lead us in worship. Gospel ministry is not just what the Christian school teacher does or um, the, the deacon in our church or even our trustees or the staff. Gospel ministry is what every believer everywhere ought to be doing on a daily basis. Everybody ought to see their entire life as gospel ministry. And that's what we want to admonish you to see it as. Now, as we come into this text, gospel ministry and Christianity as a whole is full of paradoxes. We see paradoxes everywhere we look in the, in the, in the, in the scripture. And a paradox being the idea of a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition. But when investigated or explained, it proves to be a well-founded truth. And we look at this as a paradox in our text this morning. Uh, some of the paradoxes that are very famous to us is God is three in one. Now, how can God, who is a one God, be three? And yet we see a paradox. There are three persons, one God, and co-eternal, co-equal in power and majesty. And we see that seemingly a paradox. The paradox of the incarnation is that somehow or another God became flesh. And God is not only God, but he is man. And he is not part God and part man, but he is God and man. He is truly God and truly man. And we see that paradox. We think of the sovereignty of God. And we believe firmly that God is in control and that God is a sovereign God. And yet we also believe that man is responsible. And that paradox has twisted man's mind as they try to figure that out. And yet we rest in the truth of the scripture that God is a sovereign God and man is responsible. And we see a great truth in that paradox. Jesus gives us many paradoxes in his teaching. If you find your life, you'll lose it. If you hold on to it, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life, then you'll find it. Now, how does that work? So if I lose my life, I give it up, I'm going to find it. But if I hold on to my life, I'm going to lose it. The way up is down. If you want to lead well, then be the servant. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to be last, try to be first. These paradoxes run through it. When I am weak, then I'm strong. And all of these paradoxes, and by the way, this chapter we're looking at this morning is full of these paradoxes. And we're going to see these paradoxes, these seemingly, how do these fit together? How is this possible? Now, many that are Paul is writing to, they're convinced that Paul's ministry was flawed somehow because of suffering. And so they see Paul suffering and they say, you must not be doing things right or you wouldn't be suffering this way. And that is an age-old error, or if I could say even heresy, that we believed all along. Job had the same problem, if you remember in the Old Testament. Then Job is going through this great suffering and his friends are coming to him and saying, hey, Job, if you weren't doing right, you wouldn't be suffering this way. And so therefore, there must be something sinful that you've done, Job. And so why don't you just come clean and tell us what it is? Even our Lord Jesus Christ, as they hung on the cross, saying, he said he could save others, but God's abandoned him now. See, if he was really God's son, he wouldn't be suffering. And we get this idea, and Paul was being saddled with this idea that if suffering was there, he was doing something wrong. But in reality, Paul saw and teaches us that his suffering was not a hindrance to ministry, but a platform for ministry. And when you go back through the history of the church, what we find is that in times of suffering, the church has opportunity to minister in a greater way than it ever has had. 
Because our suffering, as we identify with those who are hurting and we go through the pain ourselves, we have opportunity to minister to those who are suffering. Twice in this Paul chapter, Paul is going to use the passage or the phrase, we faint not. In verse number one of our text uh, this morning, in that, that verse, he says, he opens it up, therefore seeing we have this ministry, this ministry of the gospel. He said, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And then later on in verse number 16, we see him saying again, for which cause we faint not. He said, we do not faint. We as believers are going through the same suffering, and yea, sometimes even greater suffering than the world faces, and yet we do not have to faint. Uh, And we look at this in verse number 16, and he almost tells us for this cause, or so, or on behalf of these truths, we don't faint. In light of these truths, we can stand the test. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, he said, why do the righteous suffer? And if you know C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, these books, uh, screw tape letters, great thinker who was not a believer, who became a believer and then used his intellect to write and just really bless the Christian world with his writings. And they came to him, and why do righteous people suffer? And his response is, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. And he challenges us that ultimately you and I have the ability to take the suffering. We have the ability to handle the suffering because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So then this morning in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of question marks, we have hope in a God who doesn't change. And we can stay the course and we can say, we faint not. You know, my wife and I were riding through uh, town this week and so many questions were in the air about what the next week's going to look like and what the services were going to be. And, and then you have the question of, well, if you make this decision, what is everybody going to think about that decision? And don't think that doesn't play on your mind. And you wrestle with those things. And I remember just looking at her and saying, you know, the thing that bothers me is just so many question marks. I hate the question marks. And I think we could all testify that we hate the question marks. We want to know what's going to happen. And yet, if I'm not mistaken, we are told to walk by faith and not by sight. And so as we go through these moments of question marks, I want you to see just a few things this morning. I want you to see our calling. I want you to see our suffering, our ministry, and our hope. And that's how I've broken the text up. In verse number seven, we see our calling. And look what he says in verse seven. He said, uh, of chapter four, he said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay or earthen vessels. The King James has it. The idea is these clay pots. You all know that picture of a pottery vessel that is very fragile, that if dropped, it's going to break apart. We're talking almost a very, the most inexpensive thing you can buy. You can get them for about 20 cents or so at the Lowe's or maybe 50 cents or less at Lowe's. And they're just a small pot. And he's likening this potter's vessel to something that is fragile. And he says, we have this treasure. What is he referring to? He's referring to the eternal, hopeful gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that would take a sinner like me and you and make him a child of God. And we have this treasure, and we hold this treasure, and it's an insurmountable treasure, an amazing treasure, a treasure that we can't even quantify, and that our fallen nature is never going to fully understand. And so in eternity, God's going to unpack what we got when we got saved. And we'll see that treasure on display then. But he says, we have this treasure, and where has God chosen to place this treasure? In earthen vessels. Now, he's not just referring here to the physical body 
I'm not just talking about this, this, this shell that we live in, but he's talking about the whole of our being, that he has given the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. He has given this treasure of the gospel to live in us and is contrasting this frail body, this frail being with the eternal hope and treasure of the gospel. And he said, we have this treasure in earth and vessels. And why has God chosen to do ministry this way? We see this ministry in front of us or this calling in front of us And we can often look at it and say, man, Lord, I just don't have enough strength to do this. And when we can get to the place where we say, I don't have the strength to do this, we're getting somewhere now. Now we're getting to the place where you're right. You don't have the strength to do it. You can't lead that family like you should. You can't parent those children as you want to. You can't be the witness to your neighbor because you were simply a clay pot. But I want to say to you that there is a treasure inside the clay pot that empowers us to do something. And the reason God has ordained it to be so, why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Nobody looked at Moses' staff when he went to the Red Sea on that day and he held the staff out over the Red Sea and thought, man, what a stick. Nobody looked at Moses and said, what a man. As a matter of fact, just shortly after that event, they were ready to stone him because it was very evident that the stick didn't have the power and the man didn't have the power, but God was the one that did the work. And you and I, no matter how much polish and how much shine we put on ourselves, no matter how much poise we carry ourselves with, at the end of the day, the best of men are men at best, and we are clay pots, and God has taken and for some reason chosen to use these clay pots instead of stones to proclaim his glory. And we get the opportunity to do that. And that's why I say often that ministry has to be the idea that we understand what we do is life and death, but don't take yourself too seriously. You're just a sinner redeemed by the grace of God. And here's the reality of it. When this generation has passed, if the Lord tarries his coming, I got news for you. Somewhere on the face of the earth, there'll be a group of people gathered around the word of God, preaching the word of God to the people of God, doing the work of God. And we'll continue to march on. The church is not hindered by anything this world can throw at it because this treasure is not dependent upon the pot that it's in. It's empowered by the God who sends the work to us and sends the work through us. We spend so much time focusing on the vessel and not the content. Bodily exercise profiteth, but godliness is profitable to all things in this life and the life to come. Timothy's admonished to exercise himself in godliness. Exercise ourselves in godliness. Get good at letting the treasure that has been placed in your clay pot be seen around you. Our calling is to let the treasure show through. See, the value of the vessel is determined by the content. You know, this morning I could have brought it up for you, and I, I even thought to do it. I was going to get a glass bottle of Coca-Cola and set it here, and then my, my bottle of cologne that my wife bought me for my anniversary. And the bottle of cologne run you 70, 80 bucks. The Coca-Cola be a dollar and a half, two dollars. Both are made out of the same kind of glass. The value of the one is determined by the content of it. And see, you and I, our value is not wrapped up in who we are, but who he is. He's called us. We have choice servants of God around our church. When I think of that, the people in our church, and I think of the people who labor, I think of our our Tuesday morning prayer group, a group of people who come in here regularly on Tuesday morning and just faithful vessels of God coming in and pouring out prayer for this preacher and for this church. 
And you say, are we to laud them? We're to thank God for a vessel that would allow the treasure to shine through them. We thank God for our musicians who labor week in and week out, and oftentimes without thanks. Thank God for our PA guys. Thank God for the ladies in the nursery who labor week in and week out and our Sunday school teachers and those who labor in the different areas to make it happen. And we understand that it's not about us. It's about the treasure that's been placed inside this jar of clay. And we say, Lord, you bring it on. You use us for your glory. Now he goes into not only our calling, but our suffering. Our suffering is seen here in the next few verses. And this is where the paradoxes come to light. As we're reading this in verse number uh, 8, he said, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Troubled on every side. They tell me this poetic writing is written to contrast. It's, it's written to show a paradox. And it's almost as if he's saying, we are troubled, but we're not troubled. You know, we are cast down, but we're not cast down. We're perplexed, but we're not perplexed. We're persecuted, but we're not persecuted. And he's showing this contrast as he goes through it. He's saying, I'm troubled on every side. And the image of this being troubled on every side is the idea of being pressed in from all sides, squeezed like a grape. And this picture of being troubled, it's not just from the directions of the outside, but also the troubling of the inside of the person. And it's this troubling on every side. The idea is, I'm not distressed though. I'm not without room to move. We're troubled on every side, but we still have a path in front of us. I mentioned earlier the nation of Israel by the Red Sea, troubled on every side. The sea in front of them, the army behind them, the mountains on either side, and this troubling on every side, the fear that was welling up inside of them, but they were not distressed. They were not without place to go, because where did they go? They went the same place you and I go when we're troubled on every side. They stepped out in faith, and they went forward for the glory of God, and God parted the waters, and God made a way. Paul said, we are perplexed. The idea here is to be without resources, to be confused or in despair. And he said, but we're not in despair. He said, we're not completely at a loss. We don't know what to do right now. We don't have all the answers for tomorrow, but we do know who holds tomorrow. And we rest in that in the midst of it. He said, we're persecuted. The idea of persecuted means to be pursued or pushed aside. Being chased. Paul knew something about being chased. From the time of his conversion in Damascus, all the way through his ministry, it seems like he was on the run from somebody who wanted to either throw a stone at him or hang him or have his head cut off. He was constantly being persecuted and being chased out and being uh, oppressed, even by his own countrymen and by the Gentiles. And all of these people were chasing him and persecuting him. And he says, hey, we may be persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're not alone in all this. He said, I'm not left alone. There's still a place at the table for me. Maybe Paul, reminiscing of this, he was saying, as we would look back now in Hebrews and say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In 2 Timothy, at the end of the book, Paul is accounting the fact that he had faced a trial, and he talked about how that nobody went to the trial with him. Nobody stood with me. Within the next few words, but the Lord stood with me. He said, I am persecuted, but I'm not alone. I'm not left alone. He said, I'm cast down. And this idea here is to be physically struck down, but not destroyed. 
I think what Paul is pointing to is a supernatural sustaining of the power of God because the treasure of God within us is what sustains us even when our physical bodies are being persecuted, being perplexed, being troubled, being cast down. In Acts 14, we find the Apostle Paul being drugged out of the city of Antioch. They, they pulled him outside the city and they stoned him and left him to death. Left there to die. Left there to bleed. They thought he was dead. So this was no light persecution that he faced. This is no light casting down. And yet the Bible says that he rose up, and went into the city, and they went on preaching the next day. And God supernaturally sustained the work. Matthew Henry, and I love this. Notice what we read in our text a minute ago. He says, we are troubled on every side, but not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Matthew Henry reminds us that whatever the condition we find ourselves in as believers, we will always have a but not. We are fearful, but not in despair. We are questioning, but we know there is an answer. And we don't have to live in the anxiety. We don't have to faint in the moment of adversity because we have something, the treasure that lives inside of us. Then our ministry, Paul says, always bearing about in the body. The idea to bear about is transporting from place to place in this body, the vessel, the dying of the Lord Jesus. What is he referring to here, the dying of Jesus? It's the sense of the sacrificial and self-laying down of me that Jesus demonstrated, that is Christian ministry. The life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body so that Christ can be seen in me. I think Paul is saying that as these earthen vessels are being pressed, that the glory of the gospel is shining through. Because you're never going to know what's inside the vessel until the vessel is willing to be broken. And as the vessel is broken and cast down, then the light of the gospel shines through. See, when I die in this sense, others are made alive, Paul said. Paul said, I'm being poured out, I'm being spent, but as I'm being spent, others are being brought to life. So the call of Christianity is not to ask, why am I suffering? And so often that is our call, isn't it? Why am I suffering? But rather, how can God use this ordained suffering to bring others closer to Christ? Not why me, Lord, but Lord, how are you going to use this suffering to do your work through me? Because I promise you this, nothing has caught him by surprise. Whatever suffering you find yourself in, whether it's a health issue or whether it's a financial issue this morning, or maybe you're just uh, worried this morning and in knots over the situation our country finds and our world finds itself in, whatever suffering you're going through this morning, understand it is not a time for the believer to sit back and go, why me? It's not me standing back and saying, you know, why don't I have enough toilet paper? It's wanting to know, where can I help somebody else find some? God's called us to minister, not to pull in in times of this. Our ministry is to be poured out into others so that we may know God and bring him glory. Maybe our suffering is acute or it's all at once and it comes on us in a moment. Maybe it's the suffering of grief of a loved one or the suffering of the loss of a job or whatever that suffering is that comes into you a moment. Or maybe this morning your suffering is just a constant nagging pain that is spread out over decades. Maybe it's just that job you don't want to be at anymore. 
Maybe it is a relationship that hasn't been healed for the last 10 years. And let me say this, even in that suffering, God wants you to see that there is a but not for you in the midst of it. And he wants to be poured out through it. Never are we to sit back and say, I don't think this is fair, but God, what are you doing? God, you know what you're doing. God, show me how we can use this for your glory. And then finally, our hope. What sustains these vessels of clay in the midst of trials? He says, we faint not. Why do we faint not? Well, I'm looking at verses 15, 14, and then 13. I'm going to go backwards. Verses 15, I want you to see a clearly defined purpose that Paul has in front of him. For all these things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. You see, what is gospel ministry? Gospel ministry is putting a choir together because we got a concert one day. We're gathering people to sing, and we're telling them about Jesus, because one day we're going to stand in a great choir together with all the redeemed, and we're going to sing together. And we'll be on pitch, and we'll be in key, and we'll sing holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And Paul says, here's our ministry. Here's our purpose. It's a clearly defined purpose. We are going to lost men without Jesus and telling them of the treasure that we have inside of us, that they can take that treasure and join us in the choir one day when we give praise to the glory of God. Paul said, our ministry is to you for the glory of God. Not only is it a clearly defined purpose, but a clearly understood hope. Look in verse 14. Here's the understood hope. Knowing, assured of, convinced that he which raised up the Lord Jesus Christ shall raise, raise up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. The hope that Paul puts on display is the same hope that Thessalonica gives. Paul gives Thessalonica when he's writing to them. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe we also will rise with him. Paul is not looking just to the immediate future, but he's saying, understand that we already win the battle. Understand that we already have the victory, and so we don't sit in despair. We may be pressed in, but not in despair. We may be troubled on every side, but we're not in fear and in trouble because we know that we have the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And instead of sitting back and wringing our hands and wondering what is going to happen, imagine what it would be like for those who do not have that hope this morning. And say, man, how can I take the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone else? A clearly understood hope, a clearly established belief. Paul writes these words in verse number 13. We having the same spirit of faith According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Somebody said this, you only really believe that which moves you to action. What moves us to action is what we believe. Now Paul is quoting from the book of Psalms in chapter uh, 116, I believe it is. And he's referring back to Psalms uh, 116 and verse number 10. And 116 is a messianic psalm. Messianic meaning referring to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, referring to the coming Messiah. It's a Messianic song that praises God for his deliverance in the midst of great trouble. Praises God for the one who hears the prayer of his servant when everything is going against his servant. And it's a praise, a, a praise psalm of believing that God would come through. This song is probably one that was sang by Jesus at the end of the Last Supper. A messianic psalm sung by the Messiah 
on the way to the crucible of suffering that was coming to him that the song was written about hundreds of years earlier. And Jesus, with this very psalm on his lips, goes to the greatest place of suffering and pours himself out. Why did he pour himself out? Because he believed that the one who had commanded him to go to the cross would not leave his soul in hell, nor suffer the Holy One to see corruption, but would bring a redemption. And so he says, I believe, therefore I speak. I believe, therefore I tell you that in three days I'll meet you in Galilee. I believe, therefore I say to you, repent or you'll likewise perish. And Jesus' whole ministry was demonstrated on the fact that he believed in the promises of his Father. And so therefore he proclaimed. And Paul is saying, just like the psalmist, just like Jesus, we believe, therefore we speak. This is what motivates our preaching. This is what motivates us to get up tomorrow morning and go minister to our neighbor. This is what does it because I believe that what Jesus promised is what is going to come to pass. We do have the same confidence in Christ this morning. Paul is pointing us to the reality that we can keep on proclaiming this truth because we believe just as Jesus believed that God would raise him from the dead. We believe that no matter what comes our way, the resurrection is still a reality. See, Christ was troubled on every side, and they all forsook him, but not. You see, Christ was cast down, crucified, but not forsaken. Christ was perplexed, and we hear his words, do we not? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But not in despair, because what does he do just before he gives up the ghost? He's not saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he looks up to the Father who had given the promise, and he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He knew that no matter what come his way, the promises of God stood sure. Christ was persecuted, but not cast out. And we too have the same confidence in the purpose and the plan of God for our ministry here. We can expect no better treatment than the world gave our Lord. I remember years ago, listen, A.W. Tozer say something along this line. It's amazing to me that the world who crucified our Lord gets along with us so well. That's an interesting and a convicting thought. Let us not live under the delusion that we will always be treated well by this world. Our Lord was not. But let me say this, we do not have to worry because we can expect the same reward because we are joint heirs with Christ. And so because of this truth, we faint not. Look at verse 17 and 18 and we'll conclude. Verse 17 and 18 gives it. And these words are so rich and men, I I think I could preach an entire sermon on them for our light affliction. What is Paul talking about, this light affliction? Oh, I was beaten with a cat of nine tails or received 40 stripes, save one three times. Night and a day in the deep, stoned, rejected of my countrymen, in trials often, in perils often. And he goes down a whole long list and Paul says, this light affliction. Why is it a light affliction? Well, because its endurance is very short, is but for a moment. And it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look on the things... While we look not on, at the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. This morning, if you look around you and you make your decisions solely on the basis of what you can see, you will live in fear and frustration. But if we walk by faith and not by sight, 
I'm not talking for a minute that we shouldn't take normal and wise precaution. But we do not have to live in panic. We do not have to live in fear. We still have a ministry at this hour in our country to do the work that God's called us to do. So as we have received mercy, we faint not. I want you to join me in a word of prayer this morning. In just a moment, we'll conclude our service. So thankful that many of you got to join us on Facebook Live. And I hope that you'll comment there and let us know that you were able to be there with us today. Uh, also, we'll be updating you in the weeks to come, uh, the days to come, rather, uh, what we'll be doing for the following services and the weeks ahead of us. Uh, we're continuing to pray for you, continue to love and pray for one another. Let's pray together today, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And Father, it is in that hope that all our ministry rests. And Because we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Father, we ask you to be with our nation one more time. Lord, we ask you that you would turn our nation's eyes toward Jesus. Lord, give us opportunity to be a witness to a lost and dying world this week. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time, all right? Thank you.